All right. I just am going to read because that's what I do. If I deviate from my script, it'll go crazy. So, <laughs> um, during the last, oh, I did do a title. The title is Promises and Praise. Um, during the last five weeks of our study to date, I have been amazed at God's faithful promise to the Israelites continuously throughout this story. After 70 years in exile, he delivered the Israelites and they were sent back to Jerusalem. Not only were they sent sent home, they were sent home with everything they needed in order to rebuild the temple, including all of the articles of gold and silver from the original temple in their possession. Every single item taken was given back. Not one was missing. In my mind, that in and of itself is a sign of God's power. Today, many people are falsely imprisoned, and when they are released, they just get an I'm sorry and a small stipend, about $100 a day, and that is only in 21 states. There are 31 states who do not offer falsely imprisoned people anything. During World War II, Japanese Americans were forced into internment camps for four years. In 1988, President Reagan signed the Civil Liberties Act, which compensated more than 100,000 people of Japanese descent who were incarcerated. The legislation offered a formal apology and paid out $20,000 in compensation to each surviving victim. I give these examples to show how amazing it was that the Israelites were giving tithes and offering from their neighbors to rebuild the temple, as well as every single artifact that was plummeted from their temple. Only God could have orchestrated something like that. Another thing that struck me is that they carried all of the items from the temple across the desert and wilderness for four months without being attacked and without having anything stolen from them. They were totally safe and protected. From everything we read, we know that it was a harsh climate and harsh world. To travel with so many riches and valuables in a hostile and foreign land and reach your destination with everything you started with is also a sign of God's promises, caring, and provision for them, and in turn, us. As we learned from the earlier chapters in Ezra, despite having seen God's power and might in their return to Jerusalem, the Israelites stopped building the temple at the slightest opposition. They trusted in what they could see, the hostile people who were against them, the power of the king, the earthly king, instead of the power of God and his promises that had just been displayed to them so vividly. That is so me. I find it so easy to trust in what I see instead of what I know, even though I can look back on my life and see his power and blessing to me. In chapter 5, we see that God provides for his people again by sending prophets to come and encourage them to start working on the temple again. The prophets reminded the Israelites of God's desire to have his temple completed. The Israelites responded, and the prophet, responded to the prophets, and they started to rebuild. As we learned last week from chapter 5, shortly after the building resumes, there is very quickly another powerful person challenging them. Tatiana, that's all I'll say it, the governor of the land, has been watching the Israelites work, and it seems that he is not happy. Instead of ordering them to stop, he sends a letter to King Darius asking him to search the archives and see if what they are reporting is true and to decide on what should happen. It's there that we come to chapter 6. In chapter 6, the answer that we see come back from King Darius is so surprising. Once again, we see God showing his people his power, his love, and his care for them. God does more than the Jews could even ask or imagine. King Darius finds that King Cyprus's decree was exactly as the Israelites professed. King Cyprus added to the decree 
Oh, no. King Darius added to the decree with an instruction of his own, ordering the governor and other local officials to help the Jews rebuild the temple by providing for all their monetary, sacrificial, and physical needs while they rebuilt. I'm going to read the exact words from King Darius's letter because it is so amazing. Now, therefore, Tatiana, the governor of the province west of the Euphrates, Euphrates River, and your colleagues and other officials west of the Euphrates River, stay away from there. Do not disturb the construction of the temple of God. Let it be rebuilt on its original site, and do not hinder the governor of Judah and the elders of the Jews in their work. Moreover, I hereby declare that you are to help these elders of the Jews as they rebuild this temple of God. You must pay the full construction costs without delay from my taxes collected in the province west of the Euphrates River so that the work will not be interrupted. Give the priests in Jerusalem whatever is needed in the way of young bulls, rams, and male lambs for the burnt offerings presented to the God of heaven. And without fail, provide them with as much wheat, salt, wine, and olive oil as they need each day. Then they will be able to offer acceptable sacrifices to the God of heaven and pray for the welfare of the king and his sons. Those who violate this decree in any way will have a beam pulled from their house. Then they will be lifted up and impaled upon it, and their house will be reduced to a pile of rubble. May the God who has chosen the city of Jerusalem as the place to honor his name destroy any king or nation that violates this command and destroys this temple. I, Darius, have issued this decree. Let it be obeyed with diligence. Wow, no one could have ever seen that coming. With this new order from the king, the work prospered and moved forward. God made it so. God moved in the heart of the king and supplied all that the Israelites needed to rebuild the temple. They no longer faced any opposition, and in fact, it was very clear to see that they were doing God's will as their needs were provided for on a daily basis. In Ezra 6, God once again shows his love, his care, his provision, and his promises, despite the fickleness, selfishness, and faithfulness of his people that we see earlier in chapter 4. We also see a clear picture of God's power in building his kingdom here on earth, using broken vessels and despite any obstacles. God's fulfillment of his will and his promises to his people are so clear here. This passage has been such an encouragement to my soul. It is no wonder that the Israelites were encouraged and that they celebrated with great joy once the temple was completed. More about the celebration later. First, I want to focus on God's promises and the truths that we can rest in. Last year and this year, with our study of the Old Testament books, we have been shown time and time again through the stories of God's people that we can trust in God to do what he says. This quote by Pastor Feely sums up this thought so much better than I ever could. He writes, God's absolute trustworthiness has been consistently demonstrated over a long time. The scripture records, the scripture record shows unequivocally that God keeps his promises. They are his commitment to us, his guarantee to do what he says he will do. What we are seeing time and time again through the stories of the Old Testament is that the Lord's promises have been thoroughly tested and found true. The Bible is a historical record of the absolute reliability of God's promises. God's promises have always proven trustworthy, and we can rely on them. I'm going to read a couple of those promises. In Genesis 28, we see God promising Jacob in a dream. I am with you and I will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. 
I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Josiah 21, 43-45 says, So the Lord gave Israel all the land he had sworn to give their ancestors, and they took possession of it and settled there. The Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their ancestors. Not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hands. Not one of, the, not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. Josiah 23:14 says, You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. In Ezra 6, we see the same thing that these verses testify to, a fulfillment of God's promise. We see what the Israelites thought would be impossible happening because of God's faithfulness and his moving in the heart of rulers of that day and time. God clearly shows that he has control over the whole world, over those who believe and those who do not. One example of this is God using King Cyrus. King King Cyrus is a clear example of God moving in the mind and heart of someone who does not believe in him. Isaiah 45:13 says, I will raise up Cyrus in my righteousness. I will make all his ways straight. He will rebuild my city and set my exiles free. Cyrus was a man who did not have faith. He respected the God of the Israelites, but he did not worship or believe in him. However, Cyrus knew the scriptures, and from the reading of Isaiah 45, he knew that it, he was, it was ordained for him to be the one to send the Israelites back to the promised land. I can't help but think... If God uses Cyrus, even in his unbelief, how much more will God use us who believe? Studying Ezra 6 and being reminded of God's power, his faithfulness, and his fulfillment of his promises to all his people has been encouraging to me this past week. Anyone who has been in my women's study group at all for the past seven years knows that I struggle as a parent. I struggle with my anger. I struggle with yelling. And I struggle to show God's love, patience, and faithfulness to my children especially to my son, Jaden. Jaden and I are like oil and water. We rub each other the wrong way, and it seems like many things we do annoys the other person. Jaden is the one that I tend to get angry at the most. I yell at him the most, I shake him the most, I berate him the most, and I shame him the most. I also display the same anger in my marriage. I act in many of the ways with Adriel that I do with Jaden, except for the shaking. Um, I treat those closest to me and the ones that I am supposed to love the most the worst, despite it being my desire not to. Over the years, I have done many practical things to try and impact change in my parenting struggle and my anger struggle. I have gone to counseling at CCEF. I have met regularly with an elder's wife for six months. I have taken Jade into counseling. I have attended parenting classes. I've read books. I've asked for prayer. I've begged for forgiveness. I've begged for God to change me, yet I still struggle. This isn't to say God hasn't helped. I have seen some of God's blessings and mercy to me in this area. I don't get angry as quickly or as as often. I ask for forgiveness quicker. I recognize my sin quicker, but I still struggle. My sin is still there, and I often become frustrated by it. I just want my sin to be totally gone. I don't want to have anger especially anger that I act out in sinful ways with my family members. I often get to the point where I feel helpless and stuck. Ezra 6 gives me hope. It reminds me that God can do anything, and he is faithful to his promises to his people. I am one of his people, and I can rest and trust in his promises. 
Here are some of God's promises to us or me that I can rest in and meditate on when I am feeling helpless and despair over my reoccurring sin. So I'm going to read them out. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Mark 11:24. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1, 6. He has given each one of us a gift through the generosity of Christ. Therefore, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Ephesians 4, 22-24 Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him, and I will honor him. That's Psalms 91, 14-15. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. Romans 6:14. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Romans 6:18. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20 We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Romans 6.6 6. I know this is a lot, but they're all really important. Um, this is the last one. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, and a new life has begun. 2 Corinthians 5.17 These are God's promises to me and to you. I may not be facing an enemy that I can see like the Israelites did, but as Angelo said on Sunday, I am fighting an enemy, Satan, who wants to take away my faith and my trust in God's goodness. Satan's goal is to make me feel hopeless and to make me be out of relationship with God. I need to remember that God has conquered Satan and sin. I need to daily remind myself of God's promises and his blessings to me as his daughter. I can claim these promises that I read above on my life and remind myself of them when I sin again because I have the promise from John 1.19 which says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As Angelo said on Sunday, if we go to God with our hands up, open, and needy, we will be lifted up and listened to. God did that for me this past week, and he gave me hope in his power to change me again. God promised the Israelites this in Jeremiah 29, 10-14. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and fulfill all the good things I have promised, and I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And in those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity, and I will restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you, and I will bring you home to your own land. And that is his promise to us. He promises to end our captivity to sin. He promises to give us hope and a future. He promises to shower us with the fruits of the Spirit and to make us more like him every day. 
I realize that when I feel hopeless and despair with my habitual sin, like I am like the Israelites, not trusting in God to keep them safe and in his promise that the temple would be rebuilt. I am like Zerubbabel and Josiah, who needed the prophets speaking the words of God into their lives and encouraging them to live and act in faith. And that is the gift of the word of God to us, to all of our lives. We can turn to it and read his promises and remind ourselves of his power, his love, and his care, despite our sin and weakness. Meditating on God's grace and mercy towards us by studying his promises brought me to the same place that the Israelites were brought to after the completion of the temple, to a place of praise and thanksgiving for our Savior, Redeemer, Rescuer, and Promise Keeper. And that is how chapter 6 ends, with the Israelites praising God with great joy during the dedication of the temple. They praised him by sacrificing the best of the best to him. During the dedication of the temple, the 12 tribes of Israel brought a sin offering to him, after which the Passover celebration began. During the Passover, the Israelites spent seven days praising God and thanking him for causing the king of Assyria to be favorable towards them. The last verse in Ezra 6 reads, There was great joy throughout the land because the Lord had caused the king of Assyria to be favorable to them so that he helped them rebuild the temple of God, the God of Israel. What God had done was so amazing, no human being could take credit for it. His power was evident and it led them to praise. Meditating on God's promises this past week showed me the truth of 2 Corinthians 1.20. For no matter how many promises God had has made they are all yes in Christ because of Christ and so through him the amen the praise is spoken by us to praise God for his glory that is the natural progression when you begin to meditate and see God's faithfulness in your life you can't help but burst forth with worship and praise to him for his glory his goodness and his care and love for you I wanted to end my talk with the ultimate with a reminder of the ultimate promise that God's, God has already fulfilled from 1 Peter, 3, 1 Peter 1, 3-4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. May this truth help us live in the freedoms we are promised this week. Mm -hmm.